Hello again, my friend. Welcome back to the Out of the Cave podcast with Lisa Schlossberg. It's me, Lisa Schlossberg. And today I would like to really continue with part two of our conversation around truth and what it means to tell the truth, to embody your truth, to live in your truth, and what this has to do with healing your relationship with food, eating, and body image. So in previous episodes, we've already established that you are not a body, you are a human. And that what that means in part is that you have thoughts and you have feelings. And then in our last episode, we talked about the concept of the inner child. And basically the idea that even though you might be moving through your day and are fairly distracted with your very human life and are moving pretty quickly through it, there is also a part of you that is feeling feelings. And these could be really big feelings about tough things that are hard, but these could also be really kind of smaller feelings. They could also be joyous, happy feelings. But either way, the concept of the inner child just introduces us to the truth that is we have what some people would call an emotional body. We have our physical body, but we also have our emotional body. And that if we're not in touch with the emotions that are coming up every day, just because that's the nature of being human, then unintentionally and unconsciously, we repress them. And if we're repressing our emotions and we're not really releasing that energetic valve or the pent-up energy of the emotion, well, that's when it spills over into chronic pain, disordered eating, a struggle with body image, or maybe an addiction. So that's just, again, kind of an overview of why we're having this conversation about truth-telling and really embodying your humanity, which is to say embodying your vulnerability. So having said that, I want to offer you a metaphor that I came up with for one of Nicole Sachs's retreats when we were talking about and teaching about the inner child and why it's so valuable to do something like Nicole's work, which is called Journal Speak, and why it can actually really help us heal our relationship with our body or our chronic pain or eating disorder or any of that by just opening up and giving a voice to that vulnerable emotional inner child in us. And that metaphor is, imagine that you are on a Zoom meeting, now that we all, (laughs) or most of us are familiar with Zoom at this point, you're on a Zoom call or a video chat or something like that. And the way I think about it is kind of like you are on a Zoom call with your inner child all day, every day, 24-7, the Zoom call is going on. And because you have to be an adult and you have a lot of stuff to take care of, you have to go to work, you have to put food on the table, you got to get stuff done. There's not always there's not always room, there's not always time and space to let the inner child speak. And so it's kind of like you are going out and doing all the things. And while you're going out and doing all the things, the inner child is on the other side of the conversation or the other side of the call, just kind of watching everything you're doing and experiencing everything you're doing. And while you're out there doing it, your inner child is feeling things about it. And so the beauty of doing something like journaling or Nicole Sachs's journal speak is that the way I understand it 
is in that 20 minute period where you are giving an uncensored, unfiltered voice to your emotional truth and you're embodying your true experience, it's almost like you sit down in front of the inner child and you hit unmute and you just let your inner child speak. And what this might sound like at the end of a busy day, for example, is if you unmute your inner child, your inner child might share with you that that thing that your coworker said to you at work, that really didn't sit right. And that really kind of made you feel uncomfortable. And at the, in the moment, you didn't have the time and space to do anything about it. Maybe you didn't set a boundary. Maybe you didn't get your voice known. Maybe you just didn't show up in your truth. And your inner child's going to let you know that at the end of the day. Or maybe, you know, mm, that phone call you had with a friend, that really made you feel upset. You're kind of worried about them. And in the moment, you know, you were driving the car and you were thinking about dinner and you were just doing too many things to really stay present with the emotional feeling of it. Your inner child's going to let you know that. And so... It's really just speaking to the relationship that we have with this emotional part of us that is most of the time throughout the day, we're keeping that part of us on mute. And we have the opportunity and we have the power to really choose consciously to sit down and say, I'm going to hit unmute now. I'm going to let you speak now. I want to hear what you have to say now. I'm not ignoring you anymore. Okay, so kind of like in my last episode when I was sharing with you, something my inner child shared with me was you never let me out. So it's kind of like I was living on an ongoing Zoom call for 20 something years of my life without ever hitting unmute, without ever letting her speak, without ever letting her really express what was emotionally true for her. So if there's any confusion or trouble around conceptualizing what that might look like or what that might feel like or why we're having this conversation, that's really how I understand it. It's about sitting down and really just letting the truth come up and out. And on that note, for some of us, that will be journaling and journal speaking and doing that kind of written work. But really the truth is that in addition to things like journaling, it can be really anything, anything that is going to allow you to connect with your truth. And for some of us, that might be just, you know, sitting in the car before you walk into the house at night when the kids need help with their homework and you have to make dinner and all the things are going to come up. If you just give yourself a few moments of stillness and presence, you can connect with that truth. And so I do highly, highly recommend Nicole Sachs's work around journal speak. I do recommend a journaling practice, but I also just want to shout out that if you're not there with a journaling practice, you do have access to just your truth and just telling the truth, whether it's on paper or not right now. And so the reason this is an important concept and conversation to have is because what we're doing is talking about the truth. And the point is that the truth of you, listener, <laughs> is that there are different parts of you. Some of us call this parts work. You could call it shadow work. Either way, it's just this idea that while there's the part of you that is the adult who is very productive and functioning, um, there's also the part of you that is much more like a child who is very vulnerable and scared and feeling feelings. 
And so the truth of the human experience, the truth of your human condition is that you have a lot of different feelings. (laughs) And even though we've been taught to believe that some things are just inherently good and some things are just bad and therefore we should feel happy about one thing and sad about another thing, it just doesn't really account for the truth of the human experience because that's just not how we operate. We are not one dimensional. And so an example, a few examples of what I mean in, in this is that let's say, you know, for years at your job, you are really hoping for this promotion. You really think you're qualified. You really think you're ready and you just know that you can really handle it. And then eventually All the things happen and the big day comes and you have been given a promotion. And so what we tend to do is focus on embodying all of the positive feelings, meaning we focus on, I'm so happy, I'm so excited, this is amazing, this is everything I wanted, I'm so grateful. And we embody those because those feel more comfortable for us and they're more socially acceptable. And so we go into kind of that trap of boxing ourselves into a one-dimensional experience. And so the question becomes, you know, not are you sure you feel happy? Are you sure you're excited? Of course you're happy. Of course you're excited. And that's really fair and really valid and really true. But what we're talking about with the conversation around the inner child is the part of you that is really scared It's the part of you that's saying, oh God, I've been wanting this for years, but now it's here. And what if I can't do it? What if I'm not going to do it good enough? What if I'm not going to do it right? These are really big shoes to fill and I don't know if I can actually handle it. It's not to say your excitement or your happiness isn't real or true. It's just to say that it's not your whole truth. And that if you're pretending it's your whole truth, then you're unintentionally neglecting the vulnerable part of you that feels scared. Another example is if we look at moving to a new city, right? It's really exciting. It can be really thrilling and it can be really just an awesome experience to find a place where you feel home and that's great. But what about the part of you that is afraid that you don't know anyone there? And that maybe you're going to be lonely and you're leaving your friends and your family behind. And another example is, let's say you start dating someone new and it's going really well and you're really excited and you feel super compatible and you're really, you know, thrilled about the new connection. That's really true. That's really real. But then there's also maybe that part of you that is worried. Maybe they don't feel the same way. Maybe this isn't going as well as you think it is. It's just to say that if we are telling the whole truth, it means that there is the part of us that's feeling all of that joy and all of the elation of getting what we want and all of that gratitude, but we're also feeling the vulnerability. We're also feeling the fear because that is just the truth of the human experience. Brene Brown sometimes says that joy is our most vulnerable emotion because with joy comes the fear that we could lose it or that it could go away again. And so if we're always focusing on being happy, being happy, being happy about everything all the time, well, we're just not telling the truth. That's just not really the way that we work. And that's just, again, the human condition.
And so we tend to box ourselves into having one emotion. The one is the one that is convenient, both for ourselves and the people around us, and the ones that we like the most, or the ones that people around us like the most. We choose to focus on happy and excitement, and it's all good. And that's valid, because of course, (laughs) we would like it to be that way. And also, it's not fair. It's not aligned with our truth. It's not how we operate. Fortunately and unfortunately, the truth is that we are way more than that. And I say this from a place of, I did this a long time in my life. I did this for over 20 years, just pretending that I was strong and fine and good. And I didn't have feelings or vulnerability to account for. And what I understand now is that this was my really, really innocent and brilliant way of attempting to control my experience. This was my way of feeling safe. This was my way of surviving. It's just that if you're only ever feeling one thing, there are parts of you that are unintentionally and unconsciously being neglected. So that's what I want to talk about today. So similar to the last episode, I want to share with you some personal stories around how I came to see this and understand this, especially around food, eating, body, weight, all of that. Because when I lost 150 pounds in college, it started becoming somewhat clear to me that there were things going on inside of myself that I wasn't really connected to or aware of. So I'm going to read you actually something that I wrote years ago about my experience that happened years before that and the context for um, what I'm about to share with you is that I, again, kind of just a reminder, lost 150 pounds while I was in college as a sophomore living in my sorority house. So I was a member of Greek life and what that meant at the time was that my experience, I can only speak for myself, was that joining Greek life and being in a sorority took the University of Michigan, which was really massive, and made it much smaller. It created a smaller social world and environment where now instead of just being one student at the University of Michigan, I was one student in Greek life at the University of Michigan, and it made it feel a little bit more manageable and safe, ultimately. And so... I, when I lost my weight, um, I was already part of a community where I could get a lot of attention because I was connected to a lot of people. And it wasn't like I was just a person at the university. I was, but I, I have a feeling that being a member of Greek life uh, really exacerbated the experience of getting all of the attention and everything that I was feeling at the time. And I felt consciously and not um, that I was living in this kind of little social bubble. It was, it was big, but it was, it was small relatively. And so that is kind of the context around this. So like I said, I want to share with you something I wrote years ago about my experience. And then I think in a lot of ways it speaks for itself and, and then we'll go from there. So here's a bit of my writing. After losing a significant amount of weight and having my body shrink to a noticeably smaller size, my life began to revolve around my weight loss. It wasn't because I myself had become obsessed with or obsessive about it, but rather because everyone around me seemed to have been. 
My progress was now physically evident, allowing everyone from friends and acquaintances to complete strangers to feel comfortable commenting on it. It felt like everywhere I went, there was somebody either visibly expressing shock at my appearance or verbally communicating congratulations to me. I was always overweight, so my slimming body shocked everyone, including those I lived with and saw daily. My sorority sisters and best friends constantly told me that they didn't recognize me, mostly when walking through campus, but also even passing one another in the halls of our shared home. Every time I entered the kitchen during mealtime, there were juniors and seniors stopping by who made a point of praising my amazing progress. If someone's friend or family member came to visit school, I was introduced as the one I told you about. I was treated like a famous person known for her inspirational story and admirable work ethic. I was a walking after picture, the poster child for extreme weight loss. One night in February of my sophomore year, month number nine of steady weight loss, I went to a 90s themed mixer at Psy Upsilon, one of our brother fraternities. I made my rounds through the party sporting a jean vest and high ponytail, being stopped by a drunken frat boy every few minutes, if not every few seconds. No doubt only driven by the liquid courage provided by a few shots of cheap vodka, every one of these interactions echoed one another. Schloss! You look amazing, they would all say enthusiastically. Thank you, I squealed as I hugged him, whoever he was, for paying me a compliment. It happened upstairs at the door when we first walked in, and then downstairs when we went to the dance floor, then, then again at the bar, and then again in the bathroom, and also in the hallway. One of my fellow sorority sisters looked up at me in astonishment after we spent a few minutes together. Is this what it's like to be you? She asked while we walked through the crowd. I couldn't tell if she was concerned or impressed. My answer was the same either way. Ha, yeah. It wasn't always this distracting, I explained. A frat party was a special case, wherein most of the people present are too drunk to remember the conversation they had with me the next morning. They're all feeling confident enough to approach me because their inhibitions are lowered and when people got drunk, the praise came flying out of a previously unidentifiable fan base. If anyone wanted to see what it was like for me at its most extreme, I explained, he or she would have to hang out with me for an entire football Saturday tailgate. Since my physical transformation became physically evident, my name spread around campus, my story grew in popularity, I became more widely recognized, and every home game weekend became a chronicle of compliments. On a football Saturday, I wasn't limited to just one party with one group of people. On a football Saturday, it was protocol to run into every single person at the University of Michigan that I had ever met. <laughs> I felt like a celebrity. Hopping around from one tailgate to in the next, strangers asked to speak with me everywhere. They recognized me, sought, out some of, sought me out of the crowd, introduced themselves, and often asked me questions for advice, suggestions, or encouraging words. I was constantly greeting people who read my articles online or heard about me from a friend, especially after an online blog published the thank you letter I wrote to my sorority. People in Greek life at Michigan and then other massive universities knew my name. One girl actually asked if I was really the Schloss. A lot of them told me how inspiring and motivational I was, 
how admirable and determined I was, and how eager they were to be friends or acquaintances with me. Depending on my own level of intoxication, some numbers went saved in my phone. I was just waiting for someone to ask for an autograph. I didn't walk down the streets and have these interactions happen every day in between classes, but the weekends brought the alcohol, and the alcohol brought the silenced, sober thoughts. In their sorority house kitchen one day, my friend Lauren gave me a compliment about how thin I was and how amazing I looked. I heard this from at least one person at least once a day. I said thank you, and I meant it. I always did. Maybe my response reflected the resentment I felt inside but hadn't yet identified, or maybe she was just intuitively ahead of the game. But she followed up our interaction with a question. Is it annoying? She asked, in reference to the amount of times I had the same conversation every single day. I wanted to say yes. No, not at all. Thank you again, I replied, trying my hardest to be convincing, both to her and to myself. I couldn't figure out why being complimented made me feel so angry, or why all of the positive attention I received made me feel frustrated, so I couldn't attempt verbalizing a response I didn't want to and didn't know how to give. Only when I explicitly asked, only when I was explicitly asked if I was annoyed, could I identify the fact that I was actually pretty annoyed. It hadn't yet occurred to me that this tension had already been residing within me. Each individual person who gave me a compliment didn't irritate me, nor did their words when I heard them. I wasn't angry with anyone specifically, I wasn't blaming anyone for my irritation, and I knew that the source of my negative feelings was positive praise. My emotional discomfort was hard to pinpoint. It came on slowly and grew gradually, more rapidly as time went on. I was unsettled by the idea. Why am I frustrated? People are just complimenting me. This is exactly what I wanted. I love hearing it, too. I don't want them to stop. So why do I feel like I do? I thought about it until I made sense of it, because I refused to settle with feeling unsettled. I called my parents to discuss the revelation when it hit me a few days after meditating on the idea. Before I picked up the phone, I imagined how I was going to have to battle my dad's sarcasm. Boo-hoo, you're getting too many compliments. I could just hear him tease. But I wasn't complaining about being admired. I knew better than to assume it was that simple. It was only once I could see my situation with context, rather than as a series of independent events, that I understood why I felt how I did. It wasn't about Lauren, herself, each individual frat guy, or each stranger on game day. It was the cumulative effect of all of those people all of the time. I loved talking about my weight loss success, but it became all I could ever talk about. I liked being known as the girl who lost a lot of weight, but then it was all I was known for. I liked being identified as the poster child for successful weight loss, but soon enough that was the only identity I had. Everything related to weight loss now seemed inescapable. I wasn't thinking much about my dietary decisions or exercise habits yet. I was still dedicated to staying loyal to them, but I still felt like my life was about much more than just weight loss. Losing weight was my side job, a hobby. It certainly wasn't what I spent my free time thinking about. I was still going out to parties and drinking with my friends on most occasions, but those nights became centered around having the same flattering conversation on repeat, the party now taking place in the background. I was still going out for birthday dinners at restaurants, 
but those gatherings seem to always somehow turn toward my controlled, portioned, healthy meal choice as a topic of conversation. I wasn't yet struggling internally to occupy my mind with things other than food and exercise, but as a product of my environment, that's all my mind was occupied with. Feeling somewhat suffocated, I booked a spontaneous trip home from school for a long weekend. I knew spring break was coming up and my upcoming week in Mexico would be a lot to handle in terms of both managing my diet and being part of a large drunken scene. So I decided to search for solitude away from the people and places making me feel like a walking representation. I never treated my home as a place from which I could successfully escape other places. It almost felt exclusively the other way around, but I had to get out of the bubble whose spotlight felt forever fixed upon me. So I share this story with you because, like I said, I think it really speaks for itself. That is, it's not that the feeling good didn't feel good. It did. It's just that I lost myself and I was getting lost as a real human in the process. I was being objectified and defined by my body, my weight, my shape, my size, and all of the success and accomplishment attached to those things. But I was getting lost and I wasn't being seen as a human. And so it, that is where it really started to make sense to me that I have to take care, not just of the part of me that wants to keep going and keep receiving all of this, but also the part of me that isn't really feeling good and is not getting what it needs. Now, having said all of that, I want to share with you another story. Now we're in about 2016, so a couple years later after losing all the weight, and I am a participant at John Gabriel's first, my first John Gabriel's retreat at Omega. And this is, again, just kind of connecting this conversation to how this applies to our relationship with our bodies and relationship with food. So I'm at this retreat. And at the time, just contextually, I was trying to figure out how to maintain my weight loss without gaining it all back <laughs> um, and also not feeling emotionally distraught all of the time because that's kind of where I was at. And so one of the presentations at the retreat was a therapist named Carol Look who was teaching tapping, EFT tapping. Some of you may be familiar with that as a coping skill around just intense emotions. And at the beginning of Carol's presentation, she posed a question to everyone in the audience that was, what are the benefits of having the weight on your body? So just again, contextually, the John Gabriel, Gabriel Method Retreat is dedicated to mind-body weight loss and helping people release weight off their bodies. So Carol is presenting the question, well, what are all the good things about being overweight? What are all the benefits of having the weight on your body? And you could just feel the crickets in the room. It was total silence. And some of the responses were like, what kind of question is that? I'm here because I want to lose weight. So you asking me what the benefits of having this weight on my body, what are the benefits? There are no benefits. There's nothing good about this. I want to get the weight off my body. That's why I'm here. And so the way, just again, kind of understanding the context of this is like, that's us 
the tendency we have to say, I have one emotion. (laughs) I feel one way about this. I want to get the weight off. That's all I care about. That's all that matters. There are no benefits to this. There's no upside. Okay. So it doesn't mean that that's true. It just means that's what you're aware of or connected to. Okay. So then Carol rephrases the question, reframes it a little bit and says, I hear you. Think of it this way. What are some things that you might have to deal with if you lost weight that you don't have to deal with right now? And then all these hands started going up. The audience as a collective started to really understand what she was saying. And now people were suggesting things like, I might get attention from other people and that makes me feel uncomfortable. Someone might hit on me And I have a history of sexual abuse and assault. So that makes me feel unsafe. If I lose weight, people might comment on my body. That doesn't feel comfortable to me. If I I lose weight, I might fail and it might not work. Then I would rather just not try it at all. If I lose weight, I could gain it all back. I'd rather not. If I lose weight and I get rejected, I can't blame it on my body. If I lose weight and people don't like me, it's for who I am, not what I look like, and that would be worse. I don't want to lose weight because the last time I was thin, I cheated on my husband and I don't trust myself in a thinner body anymore. If I lose weight, my sister will be jealous of me. If I lose weight, my husband might like me more and treat me nicer, and I don't want that to be true. If I lose weight, people at work might give me more opportunities. And I don't want that to be true. And so people were coming up with all these different reasons. It was different for everyone. But once one person admitted a vulnerable fear-based truth that was just, I'm afraid that this might happen to me if I lose weight or if I try to lose weight or if I think about losing weight or if I set the goal of weight loss... Once one person opened up and said, actually, part of me is also afraid, it allowed other people to also put their hand up and admit that part of them was actually afraid. And I will never forget this because something really powerful happened there where there was one woman who went up on stage and she said, I'm afraid of losing weight because my mother will be mad at me. And Carol just had the intuition to ask, is your mother still with us? And the woman on stage said, no. And the reason that I'm sharing this is because these fears in us run so deep and they are not logical and they don't make sense. They're emotional. Your emotions don't understand logic and your emotions don't run by logic. So here we have all these people saying, part of me wants to lose weight, but part of me is afraid of owning that, or part of me is afraid of attempting that. Part of me is afraid of moving through this process. And at the time, this is the story that I, this is how I met Heather Fleming. So if you listen to that episode a couple episodes ago where I was sitting in the back of the room sobbing with a box of tissues and 
this is how I got the attention of Heather and John Gabriel was because I, this was a complete meltdown for me watching this happen because I could not believe what I was hearing. I could not believe what I was watching because at this point I am sitting in the back of the room having just lost half my body size and I was in absolute awe. The only thought running through my mind was a question. How do they know? How do they know? I never told the truth until after my weight loss when all of this fear and all of this vulnerability and all of this emotion came up without my permission and without my approval. This was at the end of my weight loss when I felt naked all the time. The only way to describe how it felt for me emotionally, spiritually, socially is to say that I felt like I was walking through the world without clothes on. I felt like I was head to toe an open wound after releasing 150 pounds. I was living through and living with all of the fears that they were talking about because I was facing them every day. I was getting attention. I was getting hit on. I was being treated nicer. I was making people jealous. I was facing all of that in real time, but I had no idea before my weight loss that it was going to be like this. I really, because I was so in denial and so disconnected from this truth, from myself, from my feelings, I really genuinely believed that I was just going to change my body and get on with my life. I just could not believe how do they know. And the other thing about this experience for me was that it was so validating Finally, there were people reflecting to me the validity and truth of what I was living. It wasn't all good. It wasn't all comfortable and safe and great and exciting. It was all of those things. Sure, it was. And it was absolutely fucking terrifying. So again, the reason it feels important to share all of this with you is because the truth is you are all of the things. <laughs> you are all of the parts. It doesn't mean that because you feel one thing, you can't feel the other. It doesn't mean that because you really do truly feel one way that you don't feel another way at the same time about the same exact thing. So especially when it comes to something like weight and weight loss, it's valid if that's something you want. It's just that there are also other parts of you to consider. There are the vulnerable parts, the scared parts, the part of you that's trying to protect you and keep you safe for the sake of your survival. So if part of you wants to lose weight, that might be true. We don't need to argue about that or debate about that. The question really becomes, what about the part of you that gained it in the first place to begin with? If that part of you, the emotional, fearful, vulnerable, inner child part of you is using food and eating and obesity for safety, comfort, protection, then that part of you might be afraid to give that up. It might be afraid to not use those things anymore. 
And this is why it can't just be about where we're going. How do we get the weight off? We have to also consider how did we get here? What were the emotional components that really got us to this place? And if food and eating for you, like it was for myself, was safety, if it feels like a life jacket that helps you stay afloat, we can't just take that away and tell ourselves, well, we do really want it. You may, and that's okay. But also, what are the other parts of you saying about it? How do they feel? Now, having said all of this, I understand there may be also a part of you that is sitting here wondering, well, what are we supposed to do then? If I were listening to this, that's how I would feel. (laughs) So I want to speak to that a little bit. That is telling the truth. That is, you have feelings. (laughs) You have a vulnerable part of you. You have an inner child. You have fear. Telling the truth doesn't mean that you let your fear stop you. It doesn't mean that because part of you might be afraid of weight loss, you say, well, fuck it, we're not going to do that then. What it means is that you admit it exists and you let it live because that's going to be true regardless of whether you honor it or not. Whether you're hitting unmute and letting it speak, whether you're embodying it and really letting that energy move through you or not, the fear is in there the vulnerable part of you is in there. So what we can do is, again, admit and acknowledge and let it belong as part of the process. And what that means for a lot of us is it's okay to keep moving toward your goal. It's just at the same time, create the space and the time to hit the unmute button and listen to your fear. One way that I think about this that helps me understand it is I've, I use the quote a lot that is, you know, you can't solve an emotional problem with a physical solution. Another way of saying that is you can't put a bandaid on a bullet wound or trying to solve an emotional problem with a physical solution is kind of like putting a bandaid on a bullet wound in that, you know, it could help you for a moment, stop the bleeding, but it's not going to help you heal the wound. And so It's kind of like that. That is, it's kind of like you have a bullet wound and if you keep just trying to lose weight, if that's the thing you want to do, this could apply to anything, but anything outside your comfort zone is going to bring up fear, which is to say all good things that you want are on the other side of fear. So I'm using food and weight as the example because that's what we do here and that's my story, but you could apply all of this to literally everything you want to do. Um, When you want something, you'll also be afraid of it because that's you being a human with a vulnerable part. (laughs) So anyway, it's kind of like you have this bullet wound that is the truth, that is your vulnerability. And if you keep trying to just lose weight and like just get it over with and just power through it, it's kind of like you're putting a Band-Aid on the bullet wound. And so when you're sitting there and you're like, okay, but what do I do? Like, what do I do about this though? Well, consider how your awareness is everything here. And that might be hard for the brain because the brain wants like a step-by-step, one, two, three, these are the right things to do about it. But that's not how this works either. So consider the fact that your awareness is everything. So what that means is if you have a bullet wound and you're aware that it's a bullet wound and you're aware that you're putting a Band-Aid over it, 
Well, you could put that Band-Aid over it to help you stop the bleeding for a moment. Sure, nothing wrong with doing that. But your awareness shows you that the Band-Aid is not going to solve the problem of the bullet wound. It's not going to help you heal it. Might stop the bleeding for a moment, but it's not the solution. And so your awareness there is everything. Compare that to if you have a bullet wound and you slap a Band-Aid on it and you're like, this will do. That's the only difference there is not what you're doing. It's your awareness of what you're doing. And so with all of this fear, I say that because your awareness is everything. It is your willingness to just tell the truth. That is, you can go ahead and keep moving towards something like weight loss. But if you're not making space for your fear, for example, in a practice like journal speak, it will be the reason you quote unquote sabotage yourself, aka soothe yourself. If you are not letting that fear move through you energetically, and if you're not giving it a voice and feeling it emotionally, it will be the reason that whatever goal you set out to achieve, you either can't achieve or cannot happen or can't make it last or make it sustainable. That's the that's really the reason that when I talk about, sure, we all know how to lose weight, but the question is, how do we keep it off? Well, that's a question of the emotion. That is a question of the other parts of you being part of the process. Because if you are always just kind of having that relationship with your inner child, that is, I don't want to hear it. I don't have time for this. I don't want to be vulnerable. I'm fine. If you're fighting to be one dimensional that way, you are fighting to neglect the truth of who you are. So there's two last things I want to share with you in this episode. The first is that this is why for me, it really, all of this speaks to the, what has become a debate culturally about weight loss will make me feel good and no, it won't. It will not make you feel good because I think a lot of people who are attempting to achieve some sort of weight loss have that belief that I'll be happy when, right? I'll be happy when I lose weight. And we, we fall for that and we really believe that. And then there are people who will say, it's not going to make you feel better, right? You can't solve an emotional problem with a physical solution. You can lose all the weight, but it's not actually going to make you feel good. Well, I really don't think it's that simple <laughs> because the truth is it might, it really might, it might make you feel really good. It may not, but the truth is it might. Your brain may get that hit of achievement and success because when you set a goal and you achieve it, whatever that is, that's what happens in your brain. And if you asked me about my own experience, I would certainly tell you that the truth is it felt good and that would be true. It was my drug of choice at the time and it definitely felt good the way drinking alcohol or smoking weed or eating food feels good. Temporary, momentary, fleeting hits of good feelings. It's just more complex than that. It's kind of like the person who drinks alcohol to feel good for a moment. It doesn't mean that drinking doesn't feel good. It just means that there are consequences to doing that all of the time and those don't feel good. There's just other parts of the story to consider. So for me, weight loss did feel good. 
It was my ego getting one hit after the other. It was feeling achievement and accomplishment and success and empowerment and all of those things. And not just other people, by the way. It wasn't just the people that were saying these things to me or complimenting me. It was looking in the mirror every morning when I got out of bed and seeing my own body. I remember one day when I realized it was typing on the keyboard on my computer because that meant that I was looking at my hands and seeing my wrists and I was aware of how much my body had changed. It was the moments where I sat down to put on my shoes and noticed that I didn't have such a wide foot anymore. It felt like it was every second of every day that I was getting high on my own supply because my drug of choice at the time was my thinner body and all of the meaning that came with that culturally. So sure, it did. It felt good the way drugs feel good. It's just as a result of that and as a result of identifying with that and chasing that, I became completely out of touch with myself and how I actually felt deep down. So to me, it's not as simple as saying you won't feel good. The truth is you probably will. It's just what else is true? What else is going on? What else are you? So lastly, I want to share with you just a couple ways that I conceptualize all of this in my own brain. And the first is something that I was taught in a coaching program of mine. That is, we can think of ourselves, this is a little bit of an oversimplification in my opinion, but for the sake of conversation, we can go with it. That is, you the human, you have the ego, which is really your protective kind of animal brain that learns all the things about how to be a human. And then you have your essence, the true essence of who you are, the energy that lives inside your body, and all that makes up the truth of the human that you are. And you are all of these. They're all true. You have your ego that wants that hit of external validation. And then you also have your essence that knows that you are way more than your body and you want to be seen for that. And so you are both of them. Another way that I like to think about it, if we're using some more kind of psychology terms, you could think about your true self and your false self. Your true self is that real essence of who you are, your, your spiritual being, and then your false self is kind of the part of you that gets a little wrapped up in the human ego and wanting to look good and be, you know, the way that you want to be perceived by other people. And sometimes we can call this our false self because it's not our truth, but it's part of how we get by as a human. <laughs> So having said that, when we understand that we have both of these parts and they each serve a purpose, because even the false self, the ego, whatever we're calling it, it's not to demonize those parts. It's not to pathologize that. It's just really the truth of what we are. And those parts of us are always trying to serve us, protect us, and keep us safe. So even if you notice that you have a kind of false self, this is just to say, um, you know, send love to that part of you because it is always taking cues from your environment of how to keep you safe and it's doing its job is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so the reason that I present it that way is because especially when it comes to the conversation around weight and weight loss, 
I think there is an important distinction we have to make around what it is to be happy and what it is to feel safe. So when it comes to feeling what I'm going to call happy or getting that kind of hit, um, that's more around the ego or the false self that is getting all the compliments, receiving all the praise and reward. And that, that can make you feel happy, sure. But the real truth is that it's not going to make us feel safe. And what we're really going for is safety. What we really want is to feel safe. The reason that we are chasing the external validation and approval is because we are biologically designed to fit in or feel the need to fit in for our survival. So it's not to say that it won't make you happy or that it's bad if it makes you happy. It might, (laughs) and that's very human of you. It's just that it's not gonna make you feel safe. And that is a distinction you want to make with yourself so that you can go ahead, do the things that are going to make you feel happy, but also understand it's kind of like that band-aid that in order for you to heal the bullet wound, you really need safety and one cannot fill or meet the need of the other. And the metaphor that I like to think about here is it's kind of like when pretend you're in high school or something like that (laughs) and There's the cool kids, there's the cool popular kids, and then you have like your real friends. And to me, it's kind of like the cool kids are playing to your ego, they're playing to your false self, they're playing to the part of you that's trying to survive and stay safe. And that makes you happy, that can make you happy. But your real friends, where you really feel seen and heard and validated and connected and safe and loved, That's where you feel safe. And the reason that I make it, make this distinction and use this metaphor is because, in my opinion, it's not about shaming yourself for feeling good when you get invited to the cool kids party. Like, that's okay. That's your ego brain who thinks that the being friends with the cool kids will keep you safe. That's not your fault. It's not true. And it also is not your fault. That's just the way the brain works. That's just the way the ego operates. It's driven to keep you safe. And it believes that because of the way your evolution goes, it has to be friends with the cool kids in order to get that safety. But again, it's not your whole truth. The truth is to consider how you feel when you're vulnerable and you're lonely and you need a friend. If you're only friends with the cool kids because the only thing you care about is being popular, if you're not getting true safety and real connection from your real friends, that's where we have a problem. So it's kind of like to me, you can go out and feel cool all you want, but if you still don't feel safe or loved for who you really are, that's not going to get your needs met. And you're still going to keep chasing, feeling happy, feeling cool, getting that hit, validation, approval, because none of it is going to fill the void of not feeling safe to be who you actually are. So to clarify around this, to me, I think it's helpful to see that it's not the cool kids that are bad and it's not you feeling cool that's bad. All of that just is what it is. That's the ego human brain doing what it does. It's only when your pursuit 
of that approval and validation so far outweigh your overall well-being and your ability to get your needs met, that's when it's a problem for your health, for your mind-body connection, and ultimately for your evolution as a human being. The problem is when you blow off your real friends to go to the cool kids party. So the question is not, you know, do you want to be friends with the cool kids? Sure, you can want that. Do you feel cool when you get invited to their party? Sure, that's very human of you. But what we need to do is look at the fearful parts of you, the vulnerable parts of you, the ones that has emotional needs and where you really can actually get safety, not just that hit of, you know, happy or whatever that means. And so like the last few episodes, the question really becomes, when does the preoccupation with your body or weight get in the way of you actually meeting your needs? And you can see just through my story, that's how I experienced it, was that I was getting so wrapped up in that drug of validation and praise and approval that I was totally neglecting and ignoring myself, so much so that I you know, went into a state of starvation and malnourishment and lost my period. I was so disconnected from the truth of how I felt emotionally, physically, spiritually, socially, just because I wanted to keep chasing that hit. And so if you're not living in alignment with your full truth, that is you are vulnerable, you do need to feel comfort, you do need to feel safety, you're just not getting your needs met. And for many of us, including myself, This is exactly what happens with our weight and our bodies. And so part of the reason that the mainstream approach to weight loss and diet culture can't work for us long term is because it suggests that we're one dimensional. It suggests that weight loss is good and it will make you happy and that's it. You're that simple. Just fit into that paradigm. And again, it's not that that's not true. It might be true. But the real question is, what else is true? What else is true? How else do you feel? What other parts of you are there to consider? That's what we're talking about when we're talking about living and embodying and telling your truth. So my friends, for all of you who are sitting there like, I want a homework assignment. (laughs) Your homework assignment for this week, really, is to consider these questions. And this doesn't have to be around weight and weight loss. It could, like I said, it could be about anything. That is, challenge yourself to tell the truth. Challenge yourself to dip into, tap into, tell the truth about your vulnerability and the parts of you that are scared. And what that might mean is think about something you want. Just think about something you want in your life. Somewhere you wanna go, somewhere you want, something you wanna achieve, something you want to accomplish, a goal, whatever you want. doesn't have to be about body or weight or shape or size. But if you consider that you want it, that's great. You can make a list of all the reasons you want it. And then the other thing, this might be a challenge. This might be really, really, really hard to do. But if you consider taking the time and space to say, what else is true? How else do I feel? These are all the reasons I would be happy and excited about this. And these are the reasons I'm scared of it. These are the reasons I may not want it. These are the reasons it might be better to not do this at all. Just challenge yourself to sit with the truth 
of all that you are. That is what you can do this week to raise your consciousness and become more aware of yourself and more connected to your truth. As always, I really so deeply appreciate you listening to this episode. It's really cool for me to share these parts of myself with you, listener. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. And I really feel like sharing my writing, especially sharing my voice, is totally a love language. So I love you. I appreciate you. This, this all, all of this work means the world to me. So please... As always, feel free to reach out to me, lisa at lisaschlossberg.com. Would love to hear your thoughts, feelings, reflections, etc. And if you have any questions or any requests of anything you'd like me to speak to in the next few episodes, please feel free to let me know that. Also feel free to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. I would really, really appreciate that. And if you need anything please be in touch. The next episode after this will be another conversation. It will actually be an interview to talk more about what it means to tell the truth about our weight, shape, body, size, and also the truth about what it's like to be after the after picture. So I'm looking forward to sharing that one with you too. Thank you for being here. I love you so much. Have the best week of your life. Mwah.